0: Good morning, how are you? It's uh, good to have you in God's house. We're in the book of Romans. Yes, you, if you cannot see that. Well, if I had my glasses off, I could not see that, but you can see that. Uh, it's Romans chapter 5. I'd like uh, to invite you there. We're going to be looking at uh, verses uh, 6 through 11. Verses 6 through 11. Uh, thanks for praying for me as I was in Philly uh, this week, the, well, Friday and Saturday, speaking to... Um, I think it was two presbyteries, uh, pastors from the Presbyterian uh, denomination. uh, And Dr. Lilbeck, uh, president of Westminster Westminster Theological Seminary, invited me up to speak to their leadership about transgenderism. Uh, And he wants them uh, educated on how to address that issue uh, in the culture because they're facing it up there. Uh, So I had a a good time with them yesterday morning, spent a couple hours with the pastors, uh, talking to them. They wanted me to condense my 408-page dissertation down to a one-hour discussion. So when I walked in with my notes, because I, I, t- I printed all the notes out for them, it was a several, I don't know, the pile was probably this high. Um, I had 149 PowerPoint slides. One hour. You do the math. I told them that this is going to be fast and amazing and miraculous. Uh, so it was, it was a lot of fun. We didn't go through all the slides. I gave them all the handouts so they could uh, read them later but i i had a good time talking to them to equip them and, and we do need to talk about that subject uh to help people that are hurting uh to lead them to to health and to holiness uh, let's pray god thank you for the word uh, for uh the life that we find through knowing christ of the word and uh, might our eyes be opened to the wonderful benefits of knowing you and walking with you you've showered great blessing upon us as saints and for those who don't know you they're searching um might they find their answers today as we talk about the glory of the gospel of Christ. And we give you praise. Amen. In uh, 1989, uh, when I went to my church plant in California, I was 31, Liz was 29. Uh, I accepted the job. Uh, the salary was $30,000 a year. It was amazing. I thought, I was awesome. Because I was making $20,000 a year as a youth pastor. Remember the days when you made that kind of money? Or you just started out wealthy? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, I, you know, I took the job. They had 19 church members at this little church plant and maybe 40 people on a Sunday in church. And so I took the job. And so we no sooner got there than some uh, uh, friends of ours that we knew in the area in Stockton where we had lived before uh, when we were young marrieds um, before seminary. Uh, they owned the largest helicopter blade manufacturing company in the world. So they were very wealthy. Uh, we'd known them for years. Uh, and so they, uh, they made us an offer uh, when we got there. And they, they said, we have purchased some uh, cruise line tickets, uh, and we have some conflicts, and we can't go. Would you like our tickets? There's are just some things you just don't pray about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, God's will is just clear. He wants you on that boat. You know, hey, I'm feeling he wants us on the boat. So I said, sure, I'll, yeah, I'll go on a cruise. And at the time, based on my salary, I couldn't have even... I couldn't have paid for this trip. There's, there's just no way. Uh, I couldn't have got on any, any floor of this particular uh, vessel. So we, uh, we took the tickets. They paid for our air, airfare down to Los Angeles, got on the cruise line, Royal Caribbean, um, and we went sailing, you know, uh, to you know, various islands off Catalina and, and on down to, toward Mexico. We had, we had a lot of fun. Pulled into San Diego. We're from San Diego. It was fun coming in on a ship, uh, seeing the you know, submarine there and the Kitty Hawk and everything. We're all familiar with that. Because our dads were both in the Navy. So we, 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 had, a, we had a blast. But when we, when we got to the boat, uh, this massive ship, and uh, they gave us an introduction to the, the ship. And as we got on board, they were handing out, you know, your seat assignments, where you're going to eat all your meals. And so we're just standing in this big old long line of people. And so we walk up to the lady, and we're in the dining room. It's beautiful or dining room. Uh, she said, oh, you, you uh, now bear in mind, almost everybody in line is a senior citizen. Why? They've got the money to be on the boat. You know, here we were. It's like, we couldn't even afford this. There's no way. Uh, and so we're standing in line. So that the lady behind the little uh, table there, she said, oh, uh, you have the pleasure of eating on that raised platform in the middle of the, of the dining hall with the captain for all your meals. <laughs> huh? Uh, yeah. Uh, so we looked at each other as a young couple. And I said, do you want to eat with the captain for all your meals? Liz is like, no way. I said, no. So I, I don't either. And, you know, and the people in line are like, You're going to give, what? You're not going to eat with the captain? No, it's too ostentatious. And I want to enjoy myself. So, And if you're captain, take offense. It's just, I didn't, because I have a church full of captains. But anyway, so I turned to the lady in the line next to us and I said, Would you like our tickets to eat with the captain? Awesome. She took them, and we took her tickets. And they put us over by the window uh, on a table. It was beautiful. You could see the dolphins jumping as we ate and stuff. It was fun. But I ate with those people breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And yes, this has something to do with my sermon. Just stay with me. So <laughs> I'm not just talking. So, so we're sitting with these people, and they're basically all retired, and then us. And so we breakfast, lunch, and dinner, we get to know them, you know, blah, blah, blah. So toward the end of our uh, week cruise, uh, the, the conversation kind of went south on us. One of them said, well, we've been on this ship for a week now. Uh, How is your room? Now, bear in mind, when we went up to our room, there was 11 floors of the ship. Ours was on the 10th floor, on the stern, out the back. We walked into our room. There's a living room (laughs) with a couch and love seats and coffee tables. There's a bedroom. There's a wonderful marbled bathroom. Then there's the patio off the back of the boat with an eight-foot slider. That's the room that we had. We were in shock. Because here's how the conversation went at, went at lunch. Hey, how's your broom been? So the one lady said, well, I can get out of bed and put my hand on each wall. <laughs> and she said, well, we don't spend much time in there because we're always you know, enjoying the boat. And so then her, the other lady said, well, our, ours is about that small too, but, but we have a porthole. <laughs> I'm thinking, we have a patio. <laughs> Still part of my sermon. Don't worry. Um, and so, uh, so when they were all done talking about their uh, their rooms, somebody looked at me and they said, "Hey, Marty, you and Liz haven't said anything about your room. Yeah, <laughs> it's, you know, it's just on the boat, you know." And they said, "Well, like, what's it like?" And I said, "Well, when you come in the front door, there's a living room. A hey, living room. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a bedroom and you know, beautiful marbled you know bathroom with nice towels and chocolate on the bed at night and flowers and." No way. Well, th- well, then there's the eight-foot slider in the patio. <laughs> patio! <laughs> and so within a few minutes, they were all in our room. <laughs> yeah. Because I had told them I was a pastor. Like, how do, what kind of salary does a pastor make? Well, not... No. I told them, hey, I'm a pastor. I have some very wealthy friends. Uh, and th- th- They purchased what I could never purchase. Oh. Now it's, th- see what I mean? It's theological, is it not? <laughs> it's highly theological. They purchased what I could never purchase. What did Jesus do for you? There you go. There you go. See what I mean? What? Only two people. See the correlation? <laughs> I had people come up to me afterwards. They totally missed the sermon point last service. They're like, could you introduce us to those friends? <laughs> what kind of people are these here? Unbelievable. So what did Jesus do? He purchased what you could never purchase, which is what? Your salvation. The the ship of salvation, if you extend the metaphor, you you could not get on. You couldn't pay to get on because he had to pay to get you on. And how do you get on? By faith, you have to accept the free gift of salvation. You're on the ship. And there's wonders on the ship. When I was on this particular ship, still going with the analogy of the ship, they told us one night, (laughs) they said, at midnight tonight, we're having our chefs carve chocolate into all kinds of amazing forms. You can come see and take pictures of it, and then when you're done, you can eat it. Again, do you pray about that? <laughs> I went. I left Liz in the room. She didn't want it's midnight, she was tired. I went, strolled along, saw the baby grand piano, pure chocolate and everything, thinking, I'm eating the keyboard and <laughs> the legs and you know. The benefits of the vessel. Are there benefits to being a believer? Absolutely. And Paul's been talking about that in Romans 5 through 11. He's telling you the benefits of salvation. So we're going to test because we're a church that tests. Correct? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, ho- hopefully you were here last week. How many were here last week? So you remember that wonderful sermon, right? Okay. He, we'll test. The, 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 the four things that you have as a believer that are benefits are the first thing that you have in Romans 5.1 is you got peace. Peace with God. I mean, you're at peace because you've been justified in His courtroom. Uh, verse two, you also have another awesome thing. It, oh, you're cheating. <laughs> Are you cheating? You're sitting there like little lambs, going, "Yeah, I know. It's introduction. It's what it says on the board. Yeah, you have introduction and access. God introduced you. The Father uh, had you introduced. It was introduced to the Father by the Son." Here's, he introduced you in that wonderful place. You have hope of seeing God in glory one day, uh, Romans 5, 2, et cetera. And then three to five is you have a new perspective of trials because now when adversity comes my way, because I understand God's with me, I don't fear because I understand he's using trials to mold and shape my character to be Christ-like. Different paradigm. Uh, now we're going to look at verses six through 11, the, the next benefit of being justified by faith, not by works. Last benefit. Verse six. We'll start with verse six to read the passage. It says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Uh, then he's going to set up a scenario. He's like an attorney arguing a case. He says, for while one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Jesus did the unthinkable. What did he do? Christ died for us. And then he says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Key preposition. You're only saved from the wrath of God through Christ, no others. We'll come back to that. Through him. He says, for in verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. And then he said, and not only this, but we also exult in, our, in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. What in the world is he talking about? What is that benefit? That's a wonderful benefit. It's the, the benefit of assurance of salvation. Assurance. I mean, like it's ironclad. Like if you're a child of God, a daughter of God, a son of God, you're, you might blow it because you're going to sin as a child of God, correct? Your sin's forgiven, but you're, or you didn't sin this week. You don't know what I'm talking about. What is he talking about? So when you sin, does that, how, many, how many sins would it take you uh, to offend God? one and it can be a thought sin it can be a, an attitude sin anything just one and so if he judges your salvation based upon whether you were sinning or not how many times would you go in and out of a justified status constantly no but paul says no the wonder of salvation is its assurance is iron clad he does not let go of you he's got you and then he's going to give you supportive evidence because he's like an attorney so here's here's his supportive evidence that your salvation is ironclad. number one your assurance is based on not your sacrifice, his sacrifice. How to get on the boat and get a room like that that I could never afford? The wealthy people sacrificed and paid what I could never pay. How do you get on the vessel of salvation? He, Jesus, sacrificed and paid with his life what you could never purchase, salvation. Notice what he says, verse 6. For while we, at the time, when we weren't believers, we were still helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What does it mean to be helpless it's a medical term in the greek text to be helpless uh, for me the best way i can understand what that means is i, re- I reflect on the, what i watched when my dad died from brain cancer it's hideous hideous thing geoblastoma the worst it's terrible i mean i watched it's him slowly degrade but you take a, a man who's totally in control of himself uh, and can do everything for himself uh down to a phone call from my sister marla who God took home uh, right after Easter this year. But she was that flew down from Spokane to help take care of my dad before he went to the convalescent home. She called me one morning, morning at six o'clock and said, you need to get over here like now. And then I got over to my parents' house and I went in. My dad was in his uh, uh, skivvies standing there as a big man crying in the bathroom, leaning against the wall. I almost stilted this day, can't go in that bathroom. This is what he told me. He said to me, I said, dad, what's the matter? It was like six in the morning. He said, son, I'm at the point in my life where I can't dress myself. That's what he told me. I'd never, I don't think I've ever seen him cry. And so I, so I said, well, that's why you have me. I said, as long as you've got a big guy like me, you're getting your clothes on. You're getting your clothes on. See, he got to the point where he's helpless, and then it went down from there to when he's in a hospital bed at the convalescent hospital. He's in a wheelchair. He needs assistance to go to the bathroom. Can't turn over in bed. You know, you're holding his hand for hours at a time. Uh, because he he's alone and he needs someone to be with him, and I've been, I've seen the drill. It's a hard drill, but it, it helps me understand. That's what I was without Christ. Helpless. I mean, that's why it's so audacious and narcissistic to actually believe that you could do religious works to gain the favor of God Almighty. You can't. Why? Paul says you are helpless because of sin, which is awesome. That means when you are helpless. Christ comes in and does what you could never do. He says here, at the right time, he died for the ungodly. Uh, the fact that he was born in 5 BC and died when he did was no fluke. I mean, it, the father didn't look down from heaven and say, son, uh, why don't you go down now? It looks, like a, it looks like a pretty good time to go to earth. No, it was the perfect time at the right time. Christ came to help those who were helpless spiritually speaking. What did he do? Well, he came to die for our sins to give us life. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says about the fullness of the time of God. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, the Torah, to redeem, he gives you the reason why he was born, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might ha- receive adoption and have sons. It's a side point, but it's worth thinking about. In Roman law, when you adopted a child, you could never unadopt un- that child. So it's just, this is a freebie. This is extra. He, if you look at Galatians, his argument is basically, do you think the God who adopted you as a son or a daughter by faith unadopts you? No, you're his based on Roman law, based on heavenly law for life. But back to the sermon, he says in Galatians four, at the fullness of time, when it came is when God sent forth the son at the fullness of time or at the right time. Now there's two main words for time in Greek, um, chronos which sounds like chronology greek's easy see what i mean (laughs) chronology or successive time Uh, that's the that's the word that he's uh, is using in galatians he's born at the right time the right chronological time so uh when christ was born in 5 bc that that was no fluke that was the perfect time to be born because if you go back and you read daniel 9 24 to 27 when daniel prophesied the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one the christ when he would come down to the year that he would come, if you go back and look at the calculations, the 490-year prophecy, he came exactly when he was supposed to, to redeem us. It's perfect timing, perfect timing. But the word that Paul uses in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, for time is not chronos. It's kairos, which means a new kind of time, like an an unbelievable kind of time. When you think back to the day that you got married, would you not say, well, that was chronological and... Hopefully you remember the day, right? Man, you're so quiet now. It's, it's scary. You know, I might forget. She will not forget. It's it's a, it's a chronological time, but it's also a, a, a the other Greek word is it's a it's a unique day, nothing like that day. And see, he says when Christ was born, it was a chronologically awesome, perfect timing, but also a new thing because the Son had been born to carry away our sin. Perfect timing. Rome, uh, Hebrews chapter nine verse twenty six. Says otherwise, he, Christ, would have needed to suffer since the foundation of the world, but now at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. If 2,000 years ago was the consummation of the ages and God's time, time reckoning, where are we at in the relationship to the appearance of God? You're on borrowed time. He's, he's coming. At the consummation of the ages, at the consummation of, of, of Mosaic law, at that given time, God said, perfect time to be born because i gave them the law the torah they've had 1400 years to learn you can't fulfill all of the torah to get into my presence it's showing them now after 1400 years they need the messiah and all the other religions the sumerian the babylonian the grecian mythology the roman mythology uh, hinduism all of the religions god says in my time of justice it's perfect time for the son to be born that was 5 B.C. And if you want to read about the timing of the birth of Christ, chronological aspects of the life of Christ by Harold Hohner, who taught me uh, uh, Greek at Dallas Seminary, that was his dissertation. Awesome book, by the way, to read about his coming. He died at the right time for you and for me while we were helpless. It says he also died for the ungodly, a person who is anti-God in all of his ways book of hebrews says in verse 11 but when christ appeared as the high priest of the good things to come he entered through the greater more perfect tabernacle not with the hands the one on earth uh, that is to say not of this creation uh, and not through the blood of goats and calves and but through his own blood he entered that holy place once for all having obtained enta- obtained what kind of redemption it's eternal you see the assurance wrapped up in this this all leads to it's eternal redemption not temporal redemption eternal redemption leads to a question if god's intricate plan to send christ over thousands of years found fruition in 5 bc when he came and then when he died in his early 30s it was all according to plan i mean down to when he died when they killed the passover lamb at 3 pm he died exactly when that happened on the temple mount when he's on galgotha it was all perfectly timed to fulfill the plan of god do you think that intricate plan can be overcome by your deviation as a believer here and there i think not now on the same token this this should not lead to lawlessness oh i'm loving this sermon it means i can live as however i want now my life's covered i'm, I'm a i'm a believer i'm justified by faith i'm gonna I'm, I'm presume upon his grace oh no he'll pick that up in five twelve to 21 and in chapter 6 it says, no, God's holy. You would never presume upon grace, but never forget the fact that he who orchestrated this plan has saved you. Verses seven to nine, second point. Your assurance is based not uh, just on that point, but it's based on his love, verses seven to nine. He says, let's think about a scenario. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare to die. He, he sets up a situation here. He said, I can think of a situation where you give me a righteous man, like a holy man, like, like a Pharisee. Somebody who, uh, he, he has all these laws, rules, and regulations, and he, he is, man, he is punctilier. He's on these things all the time. I could see that somebody might step in in a scenario and offer their life to protect the holy man. And he says, but pick a good man. I mean, somebody that's really good, that's a really nice person. He said, I can see somebody daring to die for that good person, but that's not what God did. He didn't die for good people, did he? Now, uh, i introduce you to a, a soldier. Uh, his name is uh, Captain uh, Florent Groberg. Uh, he was awarded uh, the uh, Medal of Honor uh, for bravery uh, in battle. Because when his contingent was approached by uh, a man wearing uh, bulky clothing, he made the summation, suicide bomber. He then ran at the guy, pushed him away. He then exploded, killed a couple people, but he saved everybody else in line where he was in his command position. That explosion was so great, it set off another suicide bomber they didn't even see. He was awarded the Medal of uh, Honor. Why? He he went up close and personal to death itself and and saved many other people because of his act of bravery. We have one of those Medal of Honors hanging in our dining room from my wife's great-great-grandfather from the 8th Cavalry U.S. Army we understand as a couple like what that means. You put yourself in harm way, harm's way to bring life to other people. I have to ask a question. I wonder if uh, Captain Florent Groberg would risk his life to save Abu Bakar al-Baghdadi. I mean like the mean Syrian warlord, ISIS guy. Would he jump on a suicide vest to protect his life? you kind of start thinking, maybe not. That's your avowed enemy. What did Jesus do? Verse eight, well, he did the unthinkable. It says, but God, on the contrast, demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. See, that's unheard of. You don't sacrifice your life for your enemy. No, Jesus left the glory of heaven to die for his enemies. We were the enemies. If you don't understand the love of that, Uh, I'm praying for you. That's the essence of love. He did the hardest thing. He died for his enemies. Charles Wesley was so overcome uh, by this, he wrote a hymn in 1738. uh, And it was a hymn that we used when I was in a male choir at Azusa Pacific University. We warmed up before the concerts. We'd form a giant circle in our three-piece suits. Remember those? (laughs) Yeah. All these young men in their teens, uh, late teens in these blues three-piece suits. We would stand up and sing and tune up our sections to and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Me? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me whom death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou my God shouldst die for me? I, I can tell you from having sung that song many times, a cappella with 40 men, it was awesome. It, it typically would move from a, from a tune-up song to a worship song and many guys would stop and cry as we sang. Why? That he died for me? No one lays their life down for their enemy. Jesus did. That leads to a question. Do you think that the one who laid his life down for you will let your sin as his child circumvent that faith that he secured? I think not. Because once you're his child, you're his child. You may deviate as you walk through life. Your position secure. But he looks down and says, no, I, I died for you. Nothing circumvents that. Then in verse 9, he says, another assurance of your salvation is uh, it's based on divine deliverance. Not just divine sacrifice, but divine deliverance. He says, much more than having now been justified his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. He's spoken about this before in the first uh, five chapters. Uh, chapter 3, verse 24, verse 28, chapter 4, verse 2, chapter 5, verse 1. He keeps repeating himself. Is Paul old and forgetting what he's talking about? No, no, he's a good teacher, what's a good teacher do? You're so quiet, what do they do? Repetition, repetition. One of my professors, uh, Brandeis educated, uh, very very amazing scholar, Uh, uh, he mentored me in college, changed my life, Uh, great man of God, Dr. Hartley at Azusa Pacific. Um, He'd walk around class, uh, like his class on Isaiah He'd walk around class and walk up and down the rows and stop at your desk for a moment and say to you, I want to review, uh, you know, like page eight of the class notes, uh, uh, section whatever. Uh, Okay, go. Tell me. What's on that page? That's what he would do. At that point, everybody's looking at their pencils. You know, nobody's wanting to look up to see Dr. Hartley's face. One time he grabbed a guy's Bible and it had pencil colorings, blue, yellow, red. He picked up the guy's Bible and he goes, oh, we have an interesting student here today, folks. He goes, there are things colored in your Bible. Young man, why are these things colored in your Bible? Well, sir, uh, those things that are colored are the things that I find are important. Important? It's the word of God. It should all be colored. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> uh, coloring? <laughs> yeah. hey, don't look at my Bible. Yeah, it was intimidating. So he's asking questions. He's reviewing. So I learned to review my notes before I walked into that class. So Paul knows that, uh, the importance of, re- of review. So he reviews, how did you get saved? Delivered from the wrath of God. Justified, this is where prepositions are so important. By, by, that's the preposition, by means of his blood, not my blood. And then I, w- I will be saved from the wrath of God in eternity. I'll be saved from hellfire because of him. It's, it's, he says it's through him, not, not through me. Uh, judgment day is coming. Are you ready for that day? I, I, I'm ready now. There was a time when I wasn't ready, but I'm ready because of what he's done. I'm justified in the court of law, delivered from the wrath to come because of faith in him. And then the last thing that he th- throws in here, I, I find it most interesting. Verses 10 to 11. He says, you're a sure Well, at least that last point did lead to a question. I forgot to bring it up, but it's, the question is this. Do, do you think that the God who promised to keep you from the wrath will renege on his promise? No, no, because God cannot lie. If he said, I will justify you by faith and deliver you from my wrath, then that shall be, nothing will circumvent it. And then lastly, he says, verses 10 through 11, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Keyword there, pretty easy to see. If you're married, you really understand it. Key word is Reconciliation. It always cracks me up when people get married and they say, man, we are never going to argue. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Just give it a week. Yeah. Something's going to happen. You're, are you married or are you all single? Yeah. And if you're single and you're thinking about marriage, you're going to argue. And it's just what it is. It's just a series of compromises and arriving at a place where you're reconciled, where you are typically saying, sorry, uh, honey, I'm sorry I forgot your birthday. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I forgot about Christmas or whatever. It's that reconciliation where the relationship's destroyed, she's usually right, reconcile, and it's good, (laughs) okay? I've been married, this is year 39, I understand reconciliation. Uh, Jesus reconciled you to the Father. I mean, by his death, your belief in his death and resurrection. He reconciles you as a sinner to the Father, makes you a child, which leads to a very simple question. Do you think that the God who reconciles you to the Father will look down from heaven and say, based upon your deviation as a child of God, uh-oh, you're reconciled now. No. He says you are, you are reconciled. He says it multiple times uh, through the death of his son. Your belief in that reconciles you to God. Is that not comforting? What should that lead to? It should lead, if you're reconciled to God, it should lead to verse 11. What's he saying in verse 11? And not only this, but we also do what? we ex- can you see it we exult it's not a word you typically use i'm feeling exultant today we exult in god through notice the preposition through through our lord jesus christ again preposition through whom he's the means by which we receive reconciliation reconciliation with god should lead to not exaltation exultation what's that mean that you are so overcome with the fact that he saved you, that there's moments in your life when you're driving on the train, wherever you are, you have a moment where you just say, or when you're singing, and can it be, or whatever it is, you're singing, you're worshiping, whatever, it's that when you're overcome with the fact that he saved you, and you stop to say, thank you. Thank you, God, for saving me. How can it be that you would die for me? Why? Because he loved you enough to die for you. And if you, love, if you love him because he'd done that for you, you're going to tell him, thank you. Thank you, God. I exalt you in what you've done for me. Um, it's 1033. No, it's not time to stop. <laughs> it's time to, for you to say, thank you, Lord. Will you, will you tell him? I'm asking you. Will you tell him, thank you, Lord, for saving me? I didn't hear many people here. Thank you, Lord. There's only five saved people in my whole church. Thank you, Lord, (laughs) for saving me. Don't ever forget the fact he did that. And, And don't worry about whether you're his or not his. If you came to him by faith, you are his. Walk like you're his child, but he will never let go of you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for having a hold of us. And your grip is the master grip. You shall not release us. Thank you that you're forgiving, you're merciful, you're also holy. You call us to greater things. You're patient with us. Might we live lives that reflect that we actually believe in the assurance of our faith. Might we reflect you as sons and daughters. And we still pray for that person among us who doesn't know you. Might they come to understand the fact that they were an enemy and you did the unthinkable thing. You died for them. Amen.